Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 203 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, and today we're going to preview a few fights coming up this weekend. After a dead week in the sport of boxing, we've got about eight, nine straight weeks of fights coming up. Got some good stuff. And uh, Josh Taylor signs with top rank. Some big news today. So we got a lot to talk about. Let's go ahead and get the party started. All right, guys. And for those of you watching live on YouTube right now, please remember to go ahead and hit the like button. And as always, which you could do to help me out more than anything else. Just share this video. If you're listening later on on iTunes or Spreaker, wherever it is, go ahead and spread the word. Share the podcast, the video, whatever it is, on your social and get the word out there, okay? Let's go ahead and get it started. This is episode 203 for the week of January 11th. We did not have a show Monday because there was nothing to review. But we've got some stuff coming up this weekend to preview. And really it kicks off this weekend. It kicks off, I think, about two straight months of boxing every week. So that's great. It's great that we're seeing more cards. It's spread out. We're seeing fighters be more active. However, a lot of these fights, you know, there are a lot of mismatches. There's some good, interesting fights here and there, but there's also a lot of showcase fights. We're seeing some young guys get some exposure there, including this weekend. There is a prospect fighting from Philadelphia that I'm very excited about, and I think he's going to have a breakout 2020. We'll talk more about him in a minute. Uh, so the big news coming out today was that Josh Taylor signed with top rank. Now, Cyclone Promotions, his former promoter, they're saying, look, we still have options on them, and they claim that they're going to challenge top rank and there's going to be some litigation issues. Here's my thing. I wouldn't worry too much about that. Top rank, several guys with top rank have legal backgrounds. They know what they're doing. They've been in this business a very, very long time. I am quite sure that they would not have announced this deal without having done their due diligence. So I fully expect Josh Taylor to move forward with top rank in 2020. I posted a Rand video today talking about it, giving my immediate thoughts. So I won't talk too much about it here, but I will repeat this. I think top rank is poised for a big 2020. They had a fairly lackluster 2019. Uh, they were involved in some good unification fights at 175, 140, but their star fighters, their big name fighters, really had a lackluster year. They're set up now. You look, Lomachenko is going to fight Lopez to clean out 135. Tyson Fury is going to fight Deontay Wilder probably twice this year. They're going to fight in February. And then if that fight's close and competitive, regardless of who wins, they're going to fight for a third time in the summer. And then Terrence Crawford, he's probably going to fight Sean Porter later this year. But then this signing with Josh Taylor, that's going to completely unify 140 pounds with Jose Carlos Ramirez. The winner of that fight and even the loser of that fight at some point, both of those guys are going to move up to 147, and that's going to create uh, some opponents for Terrence Crawford. The winner between Taylor and Ramirez, that sets up a big fight for Terrence Crawford. Whether that happens this year or early next year, uh, that's big for Terrence Crawford. And then don't forget, uh, Michael Conlon's probably going to fight for his first world title this year. Zerto, Gilberto Ramirez, he may be leaving top rank. There's rumors that he, he has one more fight with top rank and then he might bounce out. That's not really a big loss in my opinion. Uh, Ryota Morata at middleweight, he's 
maybe going to be fighting Gennady Golovkin. There's an outside chance Canelo Alvarez. I think he's going to have a big fight this year at some point. Kubra Pulev will fight for a world title. He's probably not going to win, but he will fight for a world title. And uh, Bud Crawford, likely to move up and pull a Canelo Alvarez type of situation, move up to 154, fight Patrick Teixeira, win a title in a fourth weight class. So I think Top Rank is going to have a big 2020. I think they're set up for big things this year. Okay, let's preview these fights coming up this weekend. Okay, none of these are going to change the game of boxing, but we got a couple interesting ones. Before I do that, we have a super chat pledge from The Hidden. I appreciate that very, very much. Uh, He says, quitter athlete this decade, Chavez Jr. or LeBron? Well, I assume, first of all, thank you for the super chat, but I assume you're talking about the previous decade. Technically, we're in the roaring 20s. We're in the 2020s right now. Uh, Look, 2010 to 2019, you got to go with Junior. I mean, you just got to go with Junior. I don't know if anyone can top that. Uh, LeBron, we could definitely beat up on LeBron, though. I could probably do an hour-long episode beating up on LeBron, who I think is extremely overrated in a lot of ways. Gail Falkenthal says one hitter quitters. (laughs) Yeah, giving a whole uh, new meaning to the term one hitter quitter, right? Uh, Yeah, Chavez really was a one hitter quitter in his last fight, just not in the good way, in the bad way. And you know what? He hasn't given up on Twitter. He just continued trolling and doing what he does. Speaking of trolling, so some of you, most of you guys liked my my sound effects last week, and I was just having a little bit of fun with the with the sound effects. And some of you were hating on that, saying, "Oh, I hope the disc jockey routine isn't part of the show going forward." So you know what? I'll pull back on the sound effects. But some of you guys out there need to lighten the hell up and have a little fun. There's nothing wrong with being corny, being silly, and having a little fun sometimes. And just for you guys, I'm going to give you this. Yeah, you're going to get some of those sound effects. Anyway, okay, Friday, tomorrow, Salida Promotions putting on a card from the Ocean Resort Casino in Atlantic City. This is on Showtime. This is a special episode of Showbox. Oh, we're getting we're getting a request for the We Are Firemen. I'm going to go ahead and do that. We Are Firemen! There. So just, just enough for you haters to get mad and call me a, a disc jockey ripoff routine. Man, you guys... Are some of you are just incapable of joy. You're just incapable of having fun. Relax. Unclench your asshole a little bit and have some fun, man. It's okay. Uh, so, look, there's the female fight on this card. I'm not going to spend too long talking about this. Clarissa Shields, Ivana Habazin. Clarissa Shields, there are some people in the media talking about the fact that she's going to win titles in another weight class and she will have accomplished this faster than any other fighter in the sport. I think that's, while technically true, it's slightly disingenuous because there's a lot of gray area and fine print there, okay? The majority of the titles Clarissa Shields has won as a pro, including the two that she's going to win tomorrow night in AC, were vacant titles. And that just tells you it's similar to the, not exactly, but somewhat similar to the Ronda Rousey situation. Okay. Um, I think Clarissa Shields is far more accomplished as a boxer than uh, Ronda Rousey was as an MMA fighter. I'm not disputing that. But all these titles are vacant. She's moving up and down in weight, and she hasn't fought an elite level female fighter yet. There just aren't that many around. The closest would be, I believe, at uh, 147, Cecilia Bracus, if somehow they can make a, 
a catchweight fight or something, that would be great. There's a few fighters around where Clarissa might have to move up and down and wait to find the big fights. But she's going to fight Habazine, who is a Croatian welterweight who's lost three times as a pro. She fought Cecilia Brekus back in 2014 at her natural weight at, at much better. It was, this was five years ago, and she was closer to her physical prime. And Brekus completely shut her out. So she's been shut out by an elite-level fighter in her own weight class five years ago. She's moving up in weight to fight a much bigger, much stronger fighter. So obviously, she's being brought in for a reason. Shields is going to win this fight by decision and win these titles again in another weight class. I get all that. But the majority of these titles she has won were vacant titles that tells you something about the opposition she's faced until she gets in there with an elite level opponent, I just can't get too excited. The real the fight I want to see on this card is between Jaron Boots Ennis, who is 24-0 with 22 knockouts, welterweight prospect out of Philly, blue chipper all the way. And I think he's set up and poised for a big 2020 himself. I think he's going to get on the boxing fans' consciousness on the radar with diehard fans this year. He's kind of been flying under the radar. Um, he wasn't my prospect of the year for 2019, but he was certainly a top pro- uh, candidate for the best prospect of the year. And I think this year he's going to fly to the top of the prospect list, and he may graduate from prospect to contender by the time the year is out. He's going to fight Bakhtiar Ilbov, 10-rounder. And so Jerron Ennis, I think he would have got more love coming out of the amateurs had he gone to the 2016 Olympics. He was this close, but he lost in the 2015 Olympic qualifiers to Gary Antoine Russell, one of the Russell brothers. There's about as many Russell brothers as there is WBA titles in boxing. Uh, Iubov coming up his first career loss as a pro to Brian Ceballo last June, and then he had a draw before that. So I expect a big performance here from Ennis. If Brian Ceballo is decisively defeating Iobov, Ennis should have a breakout performance here, and I think he will. So that's tomorrow night, January 10th. Saturday, January 11th, we have two cards, one on ESPN, one on DAZN. Let's start with top rank on ESPN uh, from the Hard Rock, also in Atlantic City. And in the main event, I think you have an interesting light heavyweight fight here between Jesse Hart and Joe Smith Jr. Jesse Hart, 26-2 and two with 21 knockouts. Smith, 24-3 and three with 20 knockouts. This is a 10-rounder. You look at these guys and their losses. Okay, they, they both have a couple losses, but look at who they've lost to. Hart has two losses to Gilberto Ramirez, close competitive losses. There's no shame in that. At 168, Ramirez was a top guy. Smith, losses to Sullivan Barrera, good quality fighter, who Jesse Hart beat his last time out. And then Dimitri Bivol, who is one of the best at 175. So uh, these guys' losses, good fighters they've lost to. So they're just a notch below that elite level, right? That top level. They're just, I don't want to call them gatekeepers. They're above that. They're contenders, but they're not quite at that top level. But considering where they're at in their careers, their styles, everything else, I think this is going to be a very solid main event. And both guys 
are kind of from that greater northeast area, that metro area up there. Um, you have Joe Smith from Long Island, and then you have Jesse Hart from Philly. So both of their fans will travel well to that event. There's the event in Atlantic City the night before. That's going to bring people out. So I think it's going to be a good, fun main event, good crowd atmosphere at that fight. I'm expecting fireworks in that one. Also on this card, uh, a couple undefeated super middleweight prospects, Steve Nelson versus Sam Killick, and several other undefeated prospects, Joseph, <coughs> Joseph Adorno, uh, undefeated heavyweight Sonny Conto, and Xander Zayas, uh, who's a young guy a lot of people are excited about. And then also, same night, Golden Boy Promotions from the Alamo Dome in San Antonio on the zone. And in the main event, Jaime Munguia, 34-0, Middleweight, making his middleweight debut. He dumped the junior middleweight title, moving up to middleweight, going up against Gary Spike O'Sullivan of Ireland. So it's Mexico versus Ireland. Munguia had a very close fight with an Irish fighter last year at junior middleweight that many people felt he lost. He was able to walk away with the decision going up against another Irishman. A lot of people are excited for that fight because of the contrast of styles. And, uh, well, there is no contrast. They're both going to come forward and, and pound the hell out of each other. So that's going to be fun. You know, I actually I did a, um, a poll on Twitter asking everybody what fight are they most excited for this weekend. And I included Sheila Tabazin, Enos Iobov, Hart Smith, and Mungia O'Sullivan. And I was surprised. About 50% of you guys and several hundred of you voted. I think it was like four or 500 people voted in this poll on Twitter. And almost half of you said Mungia Spike. I thought more people would be excited about Hart Smith. But more of you were excited for Mungia Spike. And I think it's because you're expecting fireworks in that one. You're expecting action. And I agree with you. I think we're definitely going to get some action. I tweeted today about that fight. There will be blood. Because, yes, there's going to be blood in that fight. Also on this card, we've got uh, some young prospects from uh, a couple of these guys from Texas. Hector Tanahara Jr., 18-0. He is out of San Antonio. Going up against uh, Mexican Juan Carlos Burgos, who is a very, very experienced fighter. But in there some top guys. Losses to Devin Haney. Mikey Garcia, and a very, very good Japanese fighter, uh, Hozumi Hezagawa. Uh, never been stopped. This is a 10-rounder at lightweight, so this is a very good step-up fight for Tanahara. I'm excited to see that one. Don't sleep on that fight. I'm telling you right now, that's going to be a good fight. Also, Travel Mazion from Austin, 16-0. He's a junior middleweight. Going up against a Mexican journeyman, Fernando Castaneda, he should win that fight big. Several other undefeated prospects on that card. So there we go, man. That's it for uh, for the preview this weekend. Um, none of these fights, again, are huge fights or anything like that. And as the schedule starts to heat up and, and fall together over the next couple months, none of these fights are that big. The first big fight, of course, is going to be the rematch between Wilder Fury late next month. But I think it's great that we're getting fights Every weekend, uh, there's boxing every weekend. And what's great about this weekend, you got cards on Showtime, ESPN, and DAZN. So whether you subscribe to all of those or just one of them, you're getting some boxing action. Uh, pound for pound, I think that probably the best card of the weekend, I'm just looking here at my notes, I think the best card is that Golden Boy card 
in Texas. And I think that's going to be a fun fan atmosphere. All right, so let's get to some questions, guys. Uh, Go ahead and throw those questions out there. We don't have a ton to talk about uh, this week because, again, it's still early in the year. Things are still formulating. But we're going to get going here. I got to say, man, in years past, you know, um, in years past, the, the schedule did not get going this early. So I think it's a good thing. I think we're in a good place right now, man. Uh, it's just a good, fun time to be involved in the sport. I feel so lucky to to be doing what I do. Uh, okay, so Max Cuckerman asked a question here, and I saw your comment on my other video. And he says, why did Montero call Manny Pacquiao a cherry picker in his video earlier? So I want to clarify that because a few of you guys were beating up on me. Man, I, I tell you, one thing I've learned over the last week or so if you criticize Manny Pacquiao at all, if I if I say anything, the Pacquiao guys just pound on you. I posted the Fighter of the Decade video where I really, really tried hard. I talked for 40 minutes or so giving detailed analysis about the, my top seven candidates, uh, how, why I feel you could – you could say any of the t- those seven guys are maybe fighter of the decade and also why I feel you could not say they are, you know, just depending on what you rate, which criteria you rate. And the Pacquiao guys did not like what I said. They have, it got on some message board over in the Philippines and they went nuts and it's like 50% down votes uh, to 50% up votes for that, for that video. That's crazy. And it's, I looked at the demographics it's all Filipino guys download voting that video. And they didn't even watch the whole damn thing. They just saw it in some chat room. Those dudes, you like a cult. I let me, okay. Let me respond to Max Cuckerman's question. Number one, I did not call him a cherry picker. I said that I was talking about, actually it was a video about Josh Taylor signing with top rank. And I was talking about the fact that Terrence Crawford is very likely going to go up to 154 this year and fight Patrick Teixeira for a one-off, which whether you want to use the word cherry pick or not, he's going after the weakest link at 154 because politically it's easy. It's an easy fight to make, and it's a winnable fight for him where he can grab a title in the fourth weight class. And I followed that up by saying we've seen Canelo Alvarez do that in recent years. We've seen Mikey Garcia do that. And they're not the only ones. In recent years, we've seen Floyd Mayweather do that. We saw Manny Pacquiao do that. And, of course, the Manny Pacquiao cult people had to jump on me for that one one little comment that they didn't like out of that entire video and mince my words and twist them into something else because that's what trolls do. So let me say this. Manny Pacquiao is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's an all-time great. His resume... If you look at it pound for pound and you compare it to Floyd Mayweather's, I think it's superior to Floyd's. I I tweeted out and talked about this on several of my podcasts that he is the only fighter to ever hold major world titles in four different decades. His accomplishments are second to none. And you can easily, easily make a case that his resume stacks up with the top 10 fighters pound for pound ever. I'm talking both Leonard's, uh, Gans, uh, Pep, Robinson, all the top guys. Manny's resume, pound for pound, Armstrong, stacks up with those guys. Okay, he is that accomplished. He is a special, once-in-a-lifetime type of fighter, type of athlete. He transcends boxing. A once-in-a-lifetime athlete who changed the game. 
That being said, I can agree and believe all that and at the same time feel that he was not the fighter of the decade 2010 to 2019. I thought he was fighter of the decade clearly, and he did win the award officially, 2000 to 2009. Hands down. There's no argument. No, absolutely no argument. But as I mentioned in my video and gave detailed reasoning why, for 40 minutes, there is no clear fighter of the decade from 2010 to 2019, okay? And when I talked about fighters moving up and down in opportunistic situations to go after, whether it's politically easy or it's easy, uh, the easiest title holder, moving around in weight, grabbing titles at this or that weight and not cleaning out a division. Look, Manny Pacquiao's title, his junior middleweight title, quote unquote, against Antonio Margarito was bullshit. Absolute, complete bullshit. It was a catchweight fight. Antonio Margarito was really a welterweight. He had uh, had a couple of losses. I know, well, he had had the, the Mosley loss, I believe, uh, coming into that fight. He had been really tuned up by Mosley and knocked out, right? He had had some issues outside the ring. There were suspensions, all this stuff going on. But politically, they gained a few pounds and did a catchweight. So it was just north of 147 and a vacant title got thrown in there. It was bullshit. I don't rate Manny's junior middleweight title as meaning anything. It was complete paper. It was as thin as my notes. So after I said everything I just said, wonderful and great about Manny Pacquiao, I'm the, the now. Let me say this. Let, I should add this: the win itself, Manny Pacquiao's win over Antonio Margarito, considering the size difference and everything else, and the way he so thoroughly dominated, was an outstanding victory. It was a great win for Manny Pacquiao. It's one of, here's the thing though, Manny Pacquiao has so many great wins that might not even be in his top 10 wins yet because of the size difference. This was a guy Floyd Mayweather ducked. He, that's an outstanding victory. I just don't think it should have been worth a title. No, no, no. Neither of those guys were junior middleweights. Neither of them were junior middleweights. Okay. And what did Manny do after he won that title? Did he defend it? Did he stay at junior middleweight or did he dump it and move back down? He did exactly what Canelo Alvarez just did at 175. Exactly what Terrence Crawford's going to do later this year at 154. You think Terrence Crawford's going to move to junior middleweight and, and fight the best guys there? You think Canelo Alvarez is going to fight Artur Beterbiev at 175? No. These are opportunistic situations to move up and down and wait and grab titles. And all of them do it. Now, some of them do it more than others. I named one example of Manny Pacquiao doing that. And some of you out there are so sensitive about him that you go around saying, I called Manny a cherry picker. That's absolutely ridiculous. It's just bullshit. And this Max Karkerman, you need to chill the hell out, Holmes, or else you're going to get banned from the chat. Because I just gave you a very nuanced explanation of why I said what I said. If you keep putting words in my mouth, you're out of here. I ain't dealing with you motherfuckers in 2020. I'm serious, so chill out. All right, who's next? Who is next? Lobito's Den Boxing said Manny Pacquiao actually skipped two divisions. Yes, he did early on in his career. Look, Pacquiao's resume, I'm telling you right now, it's among the top 10 ever when you consider what he's doing in this era of boxing. It is special. And his longevity and everything else. But he's not beyond criticism, guys. Every single fighter in the history of boxing 
you can find holes and asterisks in their resume. And that's something I'm consistent about across the board. Some of you Pacquiao guys need to chill, man. As much shit as I give some of the Canelo guys, even some of the Golovkin guys have gotten a bit ridiculous in recent years. The Floyd Mayweather guys are nuts. The Roy Jones guys were nuts. But, man, you Pacquiao guys on the Internet, some of you guys need to really just unclench. Have a drink or something, man. All right, Max, you said there's no holes in Manny's resume. Now I know you're trolling and you've just, you're gone. That's it. Okay. Louis Garibay said it was a 150-pound catchweight. Yeah, I think it was 150, 151, something like that. It wasn't the first time Manny fought somebody at a catchweight. But again, I still think that's an outstanding win. I just don't think a title should have been on the line. But you know how these sanctioning bodies pile on. I can't even remember if it was the WBO or who it was that jumped onto that fight to get a sanctioning fee. And of course, it, the promoter can go around and call them, um, or call Manny now a you know, junior middleweight champion, which he wasn't. He grabbed a title and moved. I don't consider Canelo Alvarez a, a legitimate light heavyweight champion. He grabbed a title and went right back down. It, he's not the same guy as Arthur Beterbiev. It's a new way to market fighters in the 21st century. All of them do it. That's the whole point. They all do it. Every promoter, every network, every platform. My job here is to decipher between all that bullshit and tell you guys the truth. Some people just don't like hearing the truth as it relates to their hero, their favorite fighter. It is what it is. Um, Yeah, Eric Rosas says, stop living vicariously through the fighters. It causes delusional thinking. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. You know what? I'm going to give you a sound effect, Eric. Yep, we're going to go ahead and give Eric a round of applause. I'm going to go ahead and do the disc jockey deal because that was a very, very good comment and just very applicable. Okay, so we have another Super Chat pledge from The Hidden. Thank you so much once again. He says, Lomachenko and Pacquiao fans are real sensitive. Yeah, to I'd say the Pacquiao fans are much worse. And, and look, I had on that video, okay, and thank you for the Super Chat. But on that video that I did last week, Fighter of the Decade, I had Filipino fans going on there calling me racist. <laughs> Obviously, I've never seen any of my videos, right, where I, where I talk about how, how much of a fan I am of Manny and, and, and everything else. And I really supported Manny when he was being pounded on by certain elements of the American boxing press that were calling him a steroid user and all this stuff when there's zero evidence for that. I posted videos talking about that stuff, guys, how there's much more circumstantial evidence linking Floyd to performance-enhancing drugs. I've defended Manny for years. Oh, yeah, and my fiance is Asian-American. But there was a bunch of idiots from the Philippines making these comments. You just can't write this shit. Uh, it is, look, it's the internet. It's, it's part of the fun of what I do. Sometimes it's just, you know, it can get a little annoying. Anyway, thank you for the super chat. Yeah, there are some Lobachenko fans that are getting a, a little over the top, you know, claiming the guy can move up to middleweight and beat people or something. Look, every star fighter has crazy fans. Every, there is no star fighter that is not without some crazy fans. All of them have, it's just some of them, it, there's some more than others. And I'm telling you right now, it, same thing with haters. Every star fighter has haters. And some haters are delusional. The haters are probably more delusional, right, than, than the fanboys. But some of, the, some of the haters of Lomachenko, I'd say he has more delusional haters than delusional fanboys right now. 
It's not the same with every fighter. Super chat pledge from Trini. What's up, Trini? He says, happy new year, brother. Happy new year to you and your family, my man. Uh, thank you so much for the super chat. I appreciate that. Rene Salcido says, Tyson Fury is the most overrated. I don't know, man. I, we'll find out. He's going to fight Deontay Wilder. Like I said, if it's a close fight in that rematch, they're going to do it again a third time. So we'll see if Tyson Fury is overrated. He had a very lackluster 2019. Cole Matsuda is asking the most overrated fighter of the decade. Most overrated fighter, if you're talking 2010 to 2019, look, that's a good question, but it depends who you're talking to because there's different levels, right? But for me, just off the top of my head, when I look at a guy who got the most, it's it's kind of a two-way tie. When I look at the guy who got the most undeserved opportunities, the most called a champion, called a champion in four weight classes when he was never a champion at any one, he just held a title. I got to go with Adrian Broner. Just top to bottom, Adrian Broner, because in the reason why I won't say Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., because I, I think a lot of people, there are some delusional fans Jr. has, but most people recognize Jr. for what he was. Nobody ever had him on a pound-for-pound pound list or nothing like that. But Adrian Broner, people had this guy on a pound-for-pound pound list. There are people talking about him like as a future Hall of Famer. Even to this day, even though we have all the evidence that we have, about just how overrated and limited he was. Adrian Broner can't fight backing up. He has zero lateral movement. He fights in straight lines. Anybody that has a shred of lateral movement or angles, even the crude-ass Marcos Maidana exposed the limitations of Adrian Broner. He literally fights like a robot. He just moves forward and does that stupid shoulder roll thing with his forearms and all that. He's very, very... Now, he did have some... I'm not saying he was trash. He had some terrific skills and everything like that. It was good enough to get him to a certain level in the sport. But he never beat an elite-level fighter. He he got several gifts early on as a fighter when he was still undefeated. I was ringside for one of them. I think it was uh, Ponce de Leon that he fought that he deserved to lose. Um, but he's called a cha- – this is another example, opportunistic, moving up, moving down, grabbing titles against the easiest opponent. Adrian Broner is called a four-weight champion. He was never a champion. He was a title holder. You guys know I tell you all the time. There's a huge difference between the two. He was never the champion of any one division. Yet this dude gets continuously gets seven-figure paydays. He DMs some 16-year-old idiot girl I've never heard. I didn't know who the hell this girl was. A lot of you guys watching this will know who she is and why she's famous. I still don't know. But some 16-year-old girl he DMed last week. And that was major news on TMZ. Major news. A guy of... Honestly, Adrian Broner, look at the the press this guy gets, right? And then you look at young, hardworking prospects like the guy I talked about earlier in the show, Jerron Boots Ennis, who I think would beat the brakes off of Adrian Broner. Obviously, two different weight classes. Uh, well, no, actually, yeah, they're still same weight class. Well, Troy, I think Ennis would beat the hell out of Adrian Broner today if they fought right now, even though Ennis isn't quite ready for the t- the top guys. And he, he can barely get off a showbox. He still hasn't got off showbox. And Adrian Broner, just because he DMs some teenage idiot, it's all over TMZ. This guy still gets too much press. So to me, he's clearly the most overrated fighter in the previous decade. Uh, Mario G says, Mikey Garcia is the most overrated hype job. You know what, dude? I think Mikey Garcia is better than Adrian Broner, obviously. But 
There are people out there that had Mikey Garcia in the top five of their pound for pound list. There are people calling him a future all-time great. I've always felt Mikey Garcia is limited. It's not that he's not a very good fighter, a very good technician, because he is. He's just not at that super level. He's just not one of those guys. He's just, just below that. And there's no shame in it. There's absolutely no shame in it. He will be in the Hall of Fame one day. But a big part of it is his name, it's demographics, and it's opportunistic matchmaking for him. Uh, but yeah, you could certainly say he's among the, the more overrated guys. Although I do think he's much better than Adrian Broner. Harrison Property with the super chat. He says, what was the Jenny Suchet versus Kubrat Pulev outcome? And is Jenny still working as a boxing reporter? Thanks, Mike. Well, thank you, Harrison Property. I appreciate it. As far as Jenny Suchet, um, I honestly don't know. But every, all that's got to be tied up because Kubrat Pulev has fought and he's, he's in line again for a title shot. He's going to, I believe, fight Anthony Joshua early this year. I think Joshua's going to dump that WBO title. That's what I've been saying all along. And you're going to see Pulev fight for the IBF against Anthony Joshua. So as far as I know, all that's wrapped up. Nothing came from this lawsuit and all that. I had never heard of Jenny Suchet before all that happened. I had never seen her at a single boxing event, ever. Remember, she's in Vegas, I guess, right? I was up in Vegas all the time covering events when I lived in LA. It's a five-hour drive. A bunch of Vegas reporters would routinely come down to LA and back and forth. I never saw her at anything. Never, 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 never. I haven't seen her since. So I think she was a small-time local type of blogger or something. I don't, I don't know, to be honest with you, there in Las Vegas. Worked for some small outlet there in Vegas. I don't think she was a boxing reporter, maybe a sports reporter or something. And that was her 15 minutes of fame. Gail Falkathal says Pulev was ordered to apologize and complete sexual harassment training by the California Commission. <laughs> That's right. I totally forgot about that, Gail. Uh, she said he's done the training as far as he's concerned. It's over. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. The California Commission made him take uh, harassment training. What do you do in that class? Hey, don't grab her ass. Don't grab a girl and kiss her. I, I guess that's all you can say to him. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's done, dude. And Jenny Suchet's 15 minutes are over. She should have handled it better, in my opinion. I'm not trying to judge her at all, okay? And whatever took place between her and Pulev behind the scenes, I know some things I can't really talk about publicly, but it's common knowledge with people in the know uh, in the boxing world. Uh, that that was a much more complex, complicated issue than her and her glory. I think Gloria Allred got involved. If you're involved in Gloria Allred, that says it all. Uh, but there was more going on there than they let on. Anyway, it's over. It's not even worth talking about. I spent too much time on it already. Scott Brown says Mikey needed to beat Loma. Michael Mendiello says Mikey, Mikey was never in my top 10 pound for pound. Yes, I concur. Uh, Scott Brown, your comment about Mikey you know, needing to fight Loma, he was never going to beat Loma. And they didn't fight him because they, they couldn't take that PR loss there. He was used, Mikey Garcia, to build Errol Spence's name. And in my opinion, they're going to do the same thing with Leo Santa Cruz and Javante Davis. That's what they're going to do. And you look, Mikey got paid very, very well. There is what was reported, and then there was what was under the table. It's going to be the same thing 
with Santa Cruz, building up Javante Davis's name. Uh, Komor Ebi says Bashir is still recovering, needs another operation soon. I saw that. And, you know, I thought about talking about that, man, but I'm just going to leave that alone. I mean, with Clarissa Shields, that's another thing. If you criticize her on Twitter or anything else, she's got a little mafia now that will pounce on you. And I just don't, I just don't want to deal with it. I just don't want to deal with it. Uh, it it was a family member of hers involved in that beating of Bashir, an elderly gentleman who is still having medical issues. And they're trying to kind of sweep all that under the rug. I just don't want to even get into it. Uh, let's see. I thought I saw a good question here about Grandpa Bob. Rockstar1996 asks, is Uncle Bob a hypocrite for poaching World Boxing Super Series winners while refusing to put his own guys in the tourney? Depends how you look at it. Here's the thing about top rank, okay? Um, when you go into a tournament, specifically with the World Boxing Super Series, um, you basically hand over control of your fighter to their promotion, the, the uh, Sauerland Brothers, okay? The promotional team that's running the World Boxing Super Series. You're kind of a secondary promoter. But you basically sign over for for this, the length of time of that tournament, that your fighter's in that tournament, promotional control to them. And Grandpa Bob don't do business like that. He will not hand over promotional control. He doesn't give fi- uh, other promoters options on his fighters. Does not do it. That's just the way they do business. Okay, so, um, and that's their decision. That's their choice. I don't think he's a hypocrite, though, for plucking these fighters because they went in the tournament, they won, in a way, and Taylor, who they both recently signed. And now, because of that momentum in winning that tournament, they're names. And so if if Grandpa Bob wants to sign them now and promote them, bring them over here to the States, also, top rank is heavily invested if you look at 135 to 147. Uh, they're heavily invested, or I'm sorry, yeah, 140. You can include 147 because Bud's there. I know they don't have a lot of fighters there right now, but over the next few years, 135 to 147, heavily invested. 175, heavily invested. There's certain divisions they're heavily invested in, right? 122, they have a strong presence there. Signing Inouye, who's fighting at 118 right now, they know he's eventually moving to 22. So some of this was a power play down the line. As I've always said, top rank plays the long game. So I don't think it's hypocritical at all, man. Um, they've never, I think it'd be hypocritical if they did some tournaments and not others. They never do tournaments. They just don't. All right, let's see, guys. A couple more questions and then we're going to bounce out of here. Uh, DS Kennels 210. Mike, talk about Nico Hernandez's situation. Why did he go bare knuckle? Thought he had a nice future in boxing. Yeah, I saw that, man. Um, Nico's, Nico's a great kid, and I do think he has a future. I think that – I don't know if there's a, a bit of him that was bored or wanting a, a new challenge. I, I just don't know. But I think there's a big payday involved for him in that. So for those of you who don't know, Nico Hernandez, uh, flyweight prospect, a a lot of potential, uh, has a good following in his hometown of Kansas. I did a piece on him in uh, Boxing Monthly a couple years back. And um, he is now going in bare knuckle boxing. So I, I just, I think this is something where he sees at least for the short term, easy money here. 
because he's not yet at the point where he could command big, big money fights in boxing. He does good crowds in his hometown, like I said, but not the kind of crowds that are going to bring him big, big money. And he's going to get that in bare knuckle boxing. Scott Brown says bare knuckle boxing has deep pockets. Yeah. So or what do they call it? Bare knuckle fighting championship, something like that. Look, Pauli Malignaggi did it. It didn't work out very well for him. He's just too old and needs to stop fighting. But a young guy like Nico can probably go in there and probably make some easy money, to be honest with you, and go right back into boxing um, and probably not lose too much. Uh, you know, there's the style is going to be a little different in bare knuckle. You know, when you're fighting without gloves, it's a little bit different. Your strategy and everything else, it's structured differently. But if he could go over there and make some cash, and he's a young guy, go over there and do a couple fights and not lose too much of his boxing craft, his regular boxing craft, and then go back into boxing with it? Why not? Why not? Lobitos Den Boxing says, yeah, I'm looking forward to the 140-pound unification fight. I hope the winner faces Crawford. There should be no roadblocks to make that happen. That's absolutely part of the plan. Again, I will repeat this to the day I die. Uh, top rank always plays the long game and this signing with Taylor. It's not just to match the winner between Taylor and Ramirez against Crawford. It's also because look, man, if Taylor and Ramirez have a good fight, they can do a rematch. Regis Progray is a promotional or a network free agent. I should say he's at 140. So there are options there. Who wouldn't want to see a rematch between Taylor and Progray in two, three years down the line at 147? I'd love to see that. If Taylor beats Ramirez, Crawford could go over to the UK, and that's a massive fight. If Ramirez beats Taylor, then Crawford and and Ramirez could probably fight in Vegas. That's a big fight. So there's so many options there over the next few years, man. I think it's a big signing, and it brings about – you could have some fight series. There might be a two-three-fight series between Taylor and Ramirez or Taylor and Crawford. Who knows? There are possibilities there, big possibilities. Salu and Mooney says Taylor Ramirez is going to happen anyway. Not necessarily. It was very, very possible, but now it's definite. It will happen in 2020. Guys, in 2020, you're going to get a complete unification at lightweight and a complete unification at super lightweight. That's pretty cool. That's that's pretty damn cool. <clears throat> All right, so a couple more questions we're going to get out of here, guys. Uh, I don't know if I gave my predictions for what I think this weekend. I think, man, Jaime Munguia, I just think he's going to have a bit too much for Gary Spike O'Sullivan. I like Munguia in that fight, and I got to slightly favor Jesse Hart to beat Joe Smith. I just have to. Uh, Hart coming off a good win over Barrera, who beat Smith. Now, triangle theories don't work in boxing, but I I just think Hart's got a little more momentum. Smith, really, his management let him down after that big breakout year he had where he beat Fonfara and Hopkins. Uh, Just the momentum has slowed down. He's had injuries too. But uh, definitely a live dog. Scott Brown asking, no live dogs? Hell yeah, Joe Smith is a very live dog against Hart. Smith is a big, strong, physical, athletic guy and if he lands a good clean shot on Hart, he could end the night 
And look, O'Sullivan, Gary Spike O'Sullivan, he's got a real chance against Jaime Munguia. It's just, look, man, it's in Texas. It's in San Antonio. It's a golden boy card. Munguia is going to get the benefit of the doubt from the scorecards, okay? So Gary would have to seriously hurt Munguia. Gary would have to uh, hurt Jaime to win this fight. And I just don't know if he's going to do that. When it comes to Jaime Munguia, I, I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to carry on the way he's been fighting. There, there's health issues there and stuff like that going on that, you know, hopefully will work itself out, but I don't know if it will. Okay, um, let's see here. Joshua Wilder says, Spike got destroyed by Lemieux. Gary going to get stopped early, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that's the safe bet. I, I think he has a chance. But I will say this. Joe Smith has a much better chance against Jesse Hart than Spike has against Munguia. I, I favor Munguia in that fight. Scott Brown says, I think Leo Santa Cruz has a good chance against, I assume you're saying against Javante Davis. I agree with you. But I think Javante Davis is going to win that fight. Leonard Ellerby and Mayweather Promotions are very, very good at manipulating a particular fan base and what they're, they're marketing Javante Davis to Floyd Mayweather's casual fan base. And there, there's a little manipulation going on there. All promoters do this. Okay. I need to preface before I get labeled all these names, but the reality is they're, they're going to manipulate the fans for a while with Javante and build up his name. And to quote Leonard Edelby told me this directly a couple weeks ago when we talked, he said, Gervonta Davis fans don't care who he fights. They just want to go to his fights, see his fights, and talk about his fights. That's literally what he told me. So moving up, Leo Santa Cruz, who really is a featherweight, right? He's had one fight, I think, at 131, maybe two fights, okay? And what weight did he start at? 118, 122, somewhere in there. Gervonta Davis is the bigger, stronger guy. And I think that that strength and explosiveness will be enough to carry Tank Davis through that fight. And it's going to be on pay-per-view, unfortunately. And our, Look, I hope I'm proven wrong. I, I hope it would be awesome if we saw Javante Davis fight Devin Haney or Javante Davis fight the Lomachenko-Lopez winner. I'm just not holding my breath. I think it's going to be somebody like Leo Santa Cruz. And they're not doing that for him to lose. The only person who could screw this up, who could fuck this up, is Gervonta Davis himself. And he's almost sabotaged his career a couple times. So maybe something like that gives Leo Santa Cruz a chance. All right. Piglet Smith asking, can Spence Crawford happen soon? No. Again, guys, don't take my word for it. Always read between the lines. Why did top rank just sign Josh Taylor? Did they sign him just to make the Ramirez fight? They didn't necessarily need to sign him just to make the Ramirez fight. They signed him also to have fighters for Terrence Crawford to fight. They know damn well that PBC and Errol Spence are not going anywhere near Terrence Crawford anytime soon. And to be fair, Errol Spence is coming off a car accident, so I wouldn't expect him to fight Terrence Crawford in his first fight back. But you'd hope that late 2020, early 2021 – a fight between those two could happen. It won't. I, I've just completely given up on that fight. And I think top rank has too, at least for the time being. D.S. Kendall says, seen interviews where Tank looked like he was on pills. He won't have a long career in my opinion. We shall see. The one thing, you know, 
Floyd Mayweather, Mayweather Promotions, trying to compare Tank to, to him and stuff like that. And a lot of the fans they're marketing to are thinking, oh, this is the new Floyd. There's only one Floyd Mayweather. And despite whatever issues you might have or whatever uh, with Floyd and the, the asterisks on his resume, we could talk about that and all everything else. You could not deny that Floyd was an extremely dedicated athlete. I think it's between him and Andre Ward which sounds funny, right? Because Andre Ward sat on his ass during most of his prime. But I'm talking about in training, in training and living a good lifestyle in between fights as far as staying in the gym, staying healthy. Uh, And then just having that mental strength to stay focused and fit in between fights and to get up for fights. Floyd Mayweather, man, you got to give the dude credit. You know, he, he lived that disciplined lifestyle as a boxer. Now, outside of that, there was some issues there, right? Hey, girl, how you doing? Uh, yeah, there was that kind of stuff happening. And, then, you know, just plenty of stuff we could talk about. Oh, you know what? Good shout out from Komorebi. Vlad was extremely dedicated. That's a great point. I would probably put Vlad up there with guys like Floyd Mayweather. Bernard Hopkins is another one. Extremely disciplined human being. A model that many fighters should follow. If I had a young prospect, I'd be like, man, look at Bernard Hopkins. Look at Vladimir Klitschko. Look at Floyd Mayweather. Look at Andre Ward. Look at the way these guys conducted their business when they were preparing for a fight. Look at how these guys stayed on weight in between fights. Look at Vladimir Klitschko was a heavyweight. Look at his weights over a, what, a 20-year career. And there was not much fluctuation. There was no Andy Ruiz shit happening there, right? Where you're getting 18 pounds from one fight to the next, 40, 50 pounds in some cases. That wasn't happening with Vlad. And he was a heavyweight. He didn't have to make weight. And guys like Floyd, guys like Hopkins stayed right on fight weight year round. True, true professionals. Tank Davis ain't that guy. He's not that guy. He's going to get by on talent for a little while. But when he finally steps up, and fights the elite, yeah, it's going to be rough for him. Gail Falkenthal says, Bernard is probably still on weight. That guy's insanely disciplined. Abso-freaking-lutely, Gail. I think he might be the most disciplined boxer, I don't want to say all time, but probably of our lifetime. I mean, you really have to say, you have to give Bernard Hopkins that credit. You really do. Guys, on that note, I'm going to go eat dinner. All right, so uh, remember, like the video, and, and post it on your social. Get it out there. All right, guys? Get the word going. And uh, we'll be back next week for two shows. And it's going to be two shows for a while because we've got a lot of fights coming up over the next couple months. All right? I'll see you at the fights.